You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, episode 21, From Field to Plate. The guys sit down with wild game chef and hunting advocate Jeremiah Doty. Jeremiah created From Field to Plate, a collection of recipes, processing techniques, and content on how to handle your, your harvest. A true, passionate sportsman whose connection to hunting is so personal, it has literally improved the quality of his health. Our conversation starts with mixing flavors and how to make a good recipe, and we all go all the way until we start talking about what is a hunter's responsibility uh, in the lifestyle of being a hunter. It's a great sit-in and listen, but before we get there, I do want to send us over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Please leave us a rating. Uh, that'll help us out in the long run. So uh, give us a rating, give us a review. We'd appreciate it. Here we go. On with the show. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning back in here to the Huntivore. Um, here we are. We're, we're in the uh, new location. We're actually at said turkey farm recording from the office. Um, but we've got uh, on the phone tonight, or at least through Skype, all the way over in sunny California, none other than Jeremiah uh, Dotry. He is the founder and bigwig at From Field to Plate, his baby, his creation that has just taken off. Jeremiah, thanks so much for uh, joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's always good to talk about hunting and food. So, Well, perfect. Uh, rumor has it, uh, morels are starting to pop. Are uh, morels in Southern California, or is that too far south? Nah, the only mushrooms we usually get down here are the ones that are off cow patties that make you see stars. <laughs> um, but no, we go, we can go really down south near San Diego County uh, and get some of that higher elevation and get some morels and other really cool mushrooms. Otherwise, I do a lot of turkey hunting in Northern California, and it's always fun to, to turkey hunt. And on the way back, you're you're picking six, seven, eight different types of mushrooms on the way back. So. Yeah, yeah Northern great. California, it's huge. Southern California, we're all about the desert and sand. So if you want to, you know, eat some prickly pear and some cactus, that's what we've got all around us. Yeah, the stuff that'll bite back. Yeah, but it tastes so good. <laughs> um, kind of diving into your, your backstory here, I think maybe some people have heard it. I've heard just a little bit about it, and I thought it was just a great backstory to kind of where maybe you you created from field to plate – um, you, you had an, you've got an allergy or developed an allergy to domestic red meat. And then that kind of changed the way 
that you had to then go after your protein. Am I am I on the right track here? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I've always been a bird hunter as long as I can remember from like seven, eight, nine on. Always been a dove hunter and quail hunter, upland game birds. Then got into waterfowl and turkey, and that's really you know the the bane of my hunting existence was if it flies, it dies, and tons of different shotguns. And but about nine years ago now, uh, I started getting really, really sick after I was eating. Uh, this is before like celiac was a thing. Before this is yeah, ten years ago now. Um, and so it got so bad to the point like it was affecting marriage because we weren't going out and spending time with friends because I was always you know, in the bathroom, puking my guts out or getting hives or anaphylactic and stuff like that. And oh no gosh. one really, no one, no one really knew what was going on. So they started doing all these tests and, oh, it's, it's, it's dairy. Oh, it's, it's celiac. Oh, and they started crossing out all the known aspects of, of stuff. And, you know, they, they said I had a case of IBS. And so we were looking into that, but really it boiled down to, I have an intolerance to bovine fat. Uh, and other certain kinds of oils and fats. So that's cow. Um, in general, people are like, oh, you can eat lean, you know, beef. Well, the problem is, is lean beef still has beef fat, and I'm allergic to the fat within beef itself. And you look at a lot of processed meat, a lot of processed red meat, um, even down to like turkey jerky at the store. It still has some sort of beef fat or beef or bovine product in it down to uh, lunch meats. A lot of stuff is cured with different bovine fats. And so once we found out that was the cause, uh, there was about a year where I just ate nothing but white meat. And being an Irish kid, meat and potatoes were what I was raised on. And so I knew there had to be something different. And so I got into big game hunting just on kind of an accident. I was at the archery range getting ready for turkey season and was talking to this old timer who had a camouflage bow and if you ever see someone with camouflage in Southern California, you stop and talk to them because either they're <laughs> it's few, either and far they're, be- few and far yeah, between. Either they're they're you know really psychopathic weirdos or they're hunters. Like there's no in between. And so this guy was at the archery range. I knew he wasn't some meth head on the corner. And so we got talking. He was talking about going to Wyoming to hunt antelope. I was like, man, I really wish I could hunt big game, but it's just so hard in Southern California, and to hunt out of state, it's so expensive. And he told me that, you know, antelope tags for a doe in, in Wyoming was 38 bucks for a tag and license and blew my mind. So I literally put my, my bow back in my, in my bag, drove home, bought two over the counter tags and drove to Wyoming the next weekend, um, in my buddy's Honda civic. And we had no idea what we were doing. I bought a rifle, bought a like $20 scope at Walmart threw it on the 30 out six, which is stupid. If I look, you know, now that I look, now that I look back at it and we, him and I tried to hunt and we ended up harvesting our first antelope, um, with just the cheapest means possible. And we, we literally camped out on BLM land in snow and people were like, you guys are nuts, but we ended up getting home and, and I, I hated the, the product that I got back for the sense of, I didn't know how to work with it. I was trying to cook it like domesticated beef or any other domestic animal and through that process of learning over the years i learned that it's not beef that it is what it is it's wild game it's super lean it's super flavorful from what the animal is digesting and eating so if you you shoot an antelope off an alfalfa field it's going to taste like alfalfa you shoot it off sage it's going to taste like you're sucking a sage bush um 
And so all these things started playing into factor. And I just started from there was, was where it really exploded into this culinary journey for me. I've always worked in restaurants, um, as a corporate trainer in the front of the house. So I knew the basics of how to pair foods. And so I just really dove into headfirst wanting to make that meat taste good. Cause there was always a motto in my family. You kill it, you eat it. Uh, I remember killing a crow with my brother when we were younger. My dad made us pluck it and eat it. Um, Hence just where the phrase that, came from eating crow. Yeah, eat crow. But that was, you killed it, you eat it. And so I killed this antelope and ended up making, I think the first dish my family absolutely loved was I made a homemade teriyaki sauce, made these thin skewers over the open grill with like pineapple ring. It was just incredible. Um, and it's still our go-to now when I shoot an antelope. Like the first meal I make is that meal that I made eight years ago with that antelope. And so it's kind of a cool thing to look back at. I was actually looking back at pictures when I first started this culinary journey. I was laughing. I was like, man, only if that guy back there knew where he'd be now. Um, what, what a story you know he could tell. So, Yeah, but it started out with just having a beef allergy and a domesticated meat allergy and thrust me into this incredible industry that's you know the hunting and fishing world. That's an epic tale. I I love that, Jeremiah. You go from, you know, guys out here in Michigan, there's a lot of um, you know, private blocks of property that we that we hunt whitetails on, but there's that big drive to like, hey, we want to go hit the big woods. We want to go up north to a big state state land and, you know, camp out and you're living the dream not just because you want to, but half cousin necessity. You're you're after the big game, so right. big game style. You're you're kind of starting in there within within the decade, I should say. Um, so you're fresh into big game. Um, but as far as turkeys, doves, you were saying that that's been some that's been part of your upbringing. Talk to me a little bit about um, how you got your start with shotgunning for uh, small game. Yeah, I remember hearing a story. Uh, I was seven, and my, my oldest sister was going to go dove hunting with my dad. And I remember hearing my dad, my uncle, my, and other family members, grandpa and stuff, talking about the dove hunt where they would sleep on the front of their car in the middle of the desert, in the back of the truck, wait for the sun to rise. They'd shoot their dove in 116-degree weather. Then they'd go and they'd jump in the river and they'd play in the river all day long and fish and they'd get back and they'd hunt at night. And as a seven-year-old boy, that just sounded like the most epic adventure that I've ever heard in my entire life. And so I told my dad, I, like, I want to go. Um, and all the uncles and stuff were like, oh, he's too young, he's too young. And I forced my way into going, and, and I was a bird dog that first year. And the next year, I just I told my dad, I said, I'm getting a license. And my dad's like, well, if you're going to get a license, you got to learn how to shoot a gun. So most parents get a kid a 410 or a 20-gauge. My dad got me a 12-gauge a pump and said, you know, if you want to do it, you're going to do it right. And so I remember being like a nine-year-old kid out there with this giant Mossberg 12-gauge, just, you know, but out shooting the older guys. And that's just where it started. My passion for for birds really came with that storytelling aspect of it. And then sitting around the campfires, we grilled up dove breasts, and everyone laughed and hearing the stories of just guys at camp just having a good time. But that, you know, I did that till I was 16, just only dove hunting. That's all. That's the only hunting I did. Because, again, living in Southern California, it's anywhere you want to hunt, it's two to three-hour drive. Um, now, fishing is another hand. We're, we're on the ocean. But then a guy told my dad. My dad was really cool because I'm one of six kids. And my dad was always 
one to never say no if it was within means. And so I told dad, I told my dad, say, hey, I want to learn how to hunt quail. He's like, all right. He had no idea what, what he was doing, but we went and walked fields and deserts and shot quail. Hey, dad, I want to learn how to f- hunt pheasant. I want to learn how to hunt turkey. Uh, the first turkey hunt I went on, my dad and I hiked in like nine miles to some area we never even scouted and just sat there for two days and never heard a turkey gobble, but we had the best time of our lives. Um, so it's kind of cool now because I'm actually able to take my dad on his first hunts. Like I got my dad in on his first turkey last year. Uh, I got my dad in on his first ducks uh, a couple years ago because I got really big into duck hunting. I took my dad on his first antelope hunt, um, his first deer hunt, all these cool things that most time dad's going to do for, for boys. Um, but I got taken my dad out. So it's kind of a cool juxtaposition of the hunting industry itself when a 30-year-old son takes out a 60-year-old dad, you know? Yeah, that just speaks and oozes of nostalgia right there. I mean, him taking on your first hunt, but now it's almost like the roles have now reversed. You've been able to now take him out. That's that's just awesome. I must say, Jeremiah, you are great at storytelling. Oh, thanks. Um, you mentioned just briefly that um, being in the restaurant world, because I'm curious to... I mean, if you go on to fieldtoplate.com or if you've checked out Jeremiah on Facebook or even on, on Instagram, it's just each week he's got a brand new dish coming out. He's got something exciting where he's playing with new flavors. Um, where did you learn to pair these types of foods? You mentioned you worked in uh, the restaurant biz up front. Where Where did you get into the pairing of these foods? I think... I don't, I mean, I can't really put my finger on it. I was always that being a restaurant in the restaurant for so long, you, you end up hating restaurant food. Uh, you work in a restaurant, the same restaurant for over a year, you eat the same food. And so you kind of look at the menu and how, what can I put together and create different things. And when I went into management, one of the things I would always have is whenever I would close, I would have competitions between servers and cooks to create new dishes just so I could eat something different like they didn't know what i was doing but i'm like hey okay tonight you've got these sort of chopped before chopped right you've got these 12 ingredients make a dish and so these servers are get back there through that i understood i started to really understand like i started getting in the competition and started cooking my family has always been you know around food everything we do is around food so food has always been a huge part of everything you know sitting around the out on you know i remember my grandpa at the barbecue and We'd be sitting there churning homemade ice cream and watching him make homemade burgers and ribs and listening to this, watching him and watching my dad cook. But the pairing of flavors for me, I don't know, it really just kind of came naturally. It came just by thinking and understanding what pairs well. Um, Started reading a couple different books just on flavor profiles. And mainly it was like pairing wines because wines have certain nodes. I don't drink at all. But I could take that aspect of idea like, hey, this this pairs well with this. And I could say, OK, well, what flavors are going to pair well with that meat, such as, you know, sage of an antelope, like I talked about. Or if you get a, a low, a low valley elk during, you know, winter where it's going to taste like sage, you know, soy, ginger, garlic, uh, orange, all these things pair really well and help elevate the sage versus try to mask it. And when you try to mask a flavor the flavor itself kind of takes on a negative aspect of that flavor. And so for me, it just became, I wanted to start telling a story through a picture on a plate. 
and what what flavors would tell that story. So when someone looked at the like, I just posted a an Alfredo cheese dip. I don't know if you saw that, um, but I wanted to tell a story. So when someone looked at it, they could see every flavor in that dish without me having to say a word. And I think that's really where the flavor profile aspect came into. And I like to eat. And so I'm not going to make something that just has salt and pepper in it. I want to, I want there to be layers so that as you're eating it, you're tasting different flavors throughout the entire meal by every layer you go down. If that makes sense at all. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, especially for my, my Northern Michigan counterpart here. Uh, Dustin will get a deer from Reed city that's been eating bark and cedars. So as far as masking flavors, I'm sure he's tried every, every way in the book to try and mask it. And maybe he needs, needs a new approach. Yeah. I can use all the help I can get with my uh, lean box, but Hey, <laughs> lean protein that's where it's at. I don't need these Southern Michigan corn fed fatties. Hey, yeah, mem- big girls mem- down here. <laughs> my, uh, my, I'm shooting mule deer who are eating cactus and roots. So I am right there with you. Someone eats a, most of people that say they don't like wild game, they've eaten wild game from an area that, they just don't taste too good, and then someone doesn't know how to develop the flavor, and so they either overcook it or they pair it with. They just put Montreal steak seasoning, or they throw a can of tomato soup or mushroom soup on it, and they're like, "It's good," and that's where people are like, ah, "I just don't like it." I've had many, many people. It's like I grew up eating it. I hate it, and I cook them a dish, and they're like, "Oh yeah, um, I like this." So I think it all just it all starts to understand that once you pinpoint the flavor then you can start to pinpoint and develop flavors that are going to pair well. So think like one thing to do is, so you said it has a lot of cedar taste to it. Well, cedar is really bitter. And so what that's why I really don't like smoking. A lot of people will smoke with alder, cedar, mesquite. All those have a really bitter, pungent taste to it. And so what you're going to do is you're going to start to look at flavors that are going to pair well with the bitterness. So you want that that sweetness with bitter. A lot of people are going to put the the tart and sour with it, which is going to make it worse. So you're finding the sweetness with the bitter. So using more um, like a like a brown sugar rub with molasses and Worcestershire's and uh, soy's, all that stuff is going to elevate that bitterness versus trying to mask it. And so it's going to develop a flavor that's going to be palatable versus a, a flavor that people are going to like trying to pinpoint what is that sour taste? What is that flavor that I'm tasting? Instead, you're wanting them to say, I taste that and I taste this and I taste this and I taste this as well. So I'll definitely get you some ideas on what to do with some of those cedar bucks. I like it. I'm seeing like a a possible opportunity where it's like, where did you take your animal? What was it eating? And now this is what you should uh, be cooking it with. Like, these are the flavors that go well with your particular custom uh, meat. Yeah, kind of it'd be fun to... too because, yeah, this next, 2019, 2020, I'm, gonna, I'm starting a new YouTube series um, where it talks about all the different things. It's called Dirty for Dinner. It's talking about all the different flavors that go into it. It'd be, be rad to come up there and go along on a hunt with you and, you know, take the flavors that you're used to and create a dish around it for you and film it and say, hey, you know, all you that are up here, this is what it tastes like. Especially Michigan, y'all eat food really bland. Uh, any, <laughs> that's the whole anyway, yeah, Midwest. Um, exactly. That's, hey, like cayenne pepper is like f- fire here. We just you only need a little bit about you know a little bit. Oh, you guys I've down there, you. that doesn't even even raise an eyebrow for you. 
No, and that's, I mean, I have a lot of friends that I grew up with that live in like Holland, Michigan, um, and places around there. And I remember just going out there and their biggest adventure was like pickles on pizza. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, really? You're that's, or like dipping their pizza in ranch. I was like, wow, you guys are really going crazy dipping your pizza in Hidden Valley. Um, Yeah. Not only is that Michigan, you're looking at Dutch Michigan. So that's very true. Absolutely bland. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's just. And again, I grew up in near Paramount, which is a huge Dutch community. So I grew up with very bland or salty, <laughs> salty flavors too. Oh yeah. So that's why I laughed because I'm like, everyone was like, oh yeah, I cook for people all, all over the country. And they're like, well, and I was like, yeah, I got to remember wh- who I'm cooking for. It's like throw one jalapeno in there and they're all going to die. Um, <laughs> Take so, them out. No, no offense to all you Midwesterners, but you know, you like your stuff mild. We're getting better. You're going to help us step by step, Jeremiah. You're going to help us find the light. That's the goal. So being in in California, you are, and you mentioned like, you know, one hour or two hours from a potential hunting spot. Like you, again, here in Michigan, we have two metropolis. We have either Grand Rapids or we've got Detroit, and then we've got farmland and state land in between. You have wide, expansive metropolis and going to wilderness, going to potential hunting areas, is it's going to be a drive. At the same time, I think being in the land of milk and honey, you can go after just about every game species imaginable. I mean, you've got all kinds of small game. You've got within reach, you know, pretty much every big game animal from blacktail to whitetail to mule deer to pronghorn. Um Talk to me about your favorite big game animal and then your favorite small game animal. Which two do you love to chase? I think if I go big game, it would have to be antelope. Um, like, yeah, it's awesome to sit there with an elk that bugles back at you and calling them in within 25 yards and shooting with a bow. But hunting a critter that can see you two miles away on, on open plains is a real challenge. I mean, that's where I cut my teeth in hunting. I mean, I, ha- I have not missed a season since I started eight years ago, antelope hunting. And every year I take four, four brand new hunters out on, on antelope hunts. Cause I said, you got to start with the hardest critter. Um, but for me chasing antelope, there's just nothing like the wide open spaces of California or, uh, Wyoming, Montana. When you're hunting a plains animal and the whole herd stares at you, from a mile away and they run you really got to be stealthy you really got to be dialed in on any weapon you're doing from a bow to uh, long range you know i've taken antelope it's my longest kill was 616 yards Jeez, um, and it it dropped like a sack of potatoes but you really have to understand the art of hunting you got to understand patience you got to understand um stealth and sunlight and all the things that go on with it. And then when you lay down to take that shot, you really have to understand your weapon. It's not like sitting in a tree stand, taking a deer from 25 to 50 yards or shooting out in a cornfield at a hundred yards or, you know, shooting a critter off a feeder in Texas. This is, this is true open range hunting. Now I've hunted all those things that I've said and absolutely hunting to me is hunting. If it's legal, I'll do it. I'll sit right next to you and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put critters in the freezer but for me, really being out there and having to outsmart my dinner is fun. Like 
calling it an elk is outsmarting it, but you could, they're pretty dumb in the rut. Um, turkeys, I, I mean, I absolutely love hunting turkeys, but again, you can gobble one in from a mile away just because they just want to get laid. And so with those antelope, it's really a struggle. And there's been times where I go out and in 10 minutes I shoot one, and there's been ones where it's day seven, and I'm like, I just need to shoot one. Um, so that's my big game would be antelope. And people will call me crazy, but if they never done it, then they – they, they know. And if I went for small game, I don't know. I love rabbit hunting, um, if that counts. Or if you're talking like birds, like waterfowl, duck hunting is – I could sit in a duck blind every day, all day. Um, but, yeah, I love walking. We were out just at the desert with our family over the weekend, and my dad and I got up every morning, and we walked the fields and shot jackrabbits. And it was just – I don't know. It's fun to sit there with a shotgun and just talk and be loud and – kick brush for a jackrabbit or a cottontail to pop out so yeah it's change of pace you know when you're trying to be stealthy for the pronghorn you're playing the chess match it's nice to switch to checkers kind of ease up the 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 challenge there a little bit uh, oh yeah we i mean we out this jackrabbit popped up i shot at it hit its ears it rolled it jumped up turned around the corner my dad was right there and was like oh crap um you know and then we went back to camp and we were eating jackrabbit and it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's just it throws it up. There's my mom actually mentioned this trip. She goes, "Can we go on a trip where you don't kill something?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, probably not, mom. Like it's it's my job. That's my new excuse for everything." Well, it's my job, um, but it's not. I don't just go out to kill. I literally go out because I look at something in nature, and I want to I want to eat it because I want to see how it tastes and I want to break the normal. When people say like, "You can't eat jackrabbit. It's too tough. It's too blah 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 blah." I'm like, dude, challenge accepted. And so that's why I, I shoot what I shoot and I eat what I eat. And so I got three freezers completely full in my downstairs garage. So That's a great segue into what I was just going to say for my, my next question. Um, you know, your, your purpose for hunting. I mean, A, we, you know, you, you have the allergy. But just like you said that you're, you're going after your food, you have to outsmart uh, your food. And now it's also about the utilization of that animal. Um, Being a hunter, being someone who goes out and not only just acquires their food personally, but now they have to butcher that. They have to basically get their hands dirty in their meal. Um, Is your perception of full utilization, is that going to be kind of like the big savior for hunting? Um, is that like by us showing how we can fully utilize this animal from something that's sought after like a pronghorn or an elk to something that's not, you get a jackrabbit that, you know, those things, they run all the time. They're, they're going to be tough. It's kind of like our, uh, well, we've, we've now got feral pigeons here in Michigan that are at dairies and they're at farms and people look at them as a nuisance, but it's almost like a new protein to go after and to play with. Is that going to be the big message of utilization? How does that play into hunting? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, that's why I get asked to go speak all over the place. That's why I get asked by these big companies to be a part of their company is because I'm not afraid to eat what everyone else is afraid to eat. Um, You look at five, six years ago when I was posting pictures of eating hearts and coal fat and kidneys and livers and i was literally getting made fun of 
uh, I think it was like me and Shaw and, you know, Ranella were the only ones that were doing this stuff. And people were literally making fun of me for it. They're like, why would you eat a heart? Why would you eat heart? Oh, it's so gross. Da, 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 da. And now you look on Instagram and social media and it's like heart picture, heart picture. I've been saving the heart, 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 heart. Now you see them saving livers. Now you see, you know, five years ago, I started cutting French rack back straps. Now everyone and their mom is Frenching out back straps with a bone and tomahawk chops and venison and moose and elk. You know, people are calling it the from field to plate cut. And I think when people start to utilize more of the animal, they want to hunt more of the animal and they want to do it more ethically and cleanly. Cause before we just blow out our shoulder and take a deer. And then we realized we were wasting 12 pounds of meat by blowing out a shoulder. Cause it would, the damage that would just, you know, the, just the ballistic damage alone on a shoulder with a 30 out six going through it, um, takes away tons of meat. And so now we're under, we're becoming more ethical hunters because we want to place a, a shot between that fifth and sixth rib right behind the, you know, right behind the shoulder where the heart and lungs sit for an instant clean kill. We don't want to go and search for our animals. That's why bow hunters are starting to get, you know, all the new mechanics within bow hunting and scopes and rifles and rifling bullets and the new Creedmoor round is because they want to utilize better meat. And so for me, I see a big draw because for so long, there's been like two ways to cook wild game. It's high, super end fancy, which is what some of these guys are doing. And it's $80 a, a dinner, which I can't afford. My budget's like 80 bucks a week at my house for groceries. And then you have where it's just wrapped in bacon, jalapenos and cream cheese or deep fried or tacos right which is again nothing wrong with it those are all great ways to eat it but for me it was how can i utilize meat as meat how can i use that protein in my everyday eating how can i take a jackrabbit and not just bread it and deep fry it and choke it down how can i make it into soups and stews how can i i mean i made jack jackrabbit tamales for christmas and i gave my mom and dad for their church christmas party and they were the first things gone and so when you start to look at those inedible animals or those inedible parts as edible parts, it really opens up a new realm of possibilities. Like you were saying pigeons. We shoot pigeons here in California because they're, they're, there's no limit. So we can go to a dairy. We can shoot 100 pigeons in a day and make phenomenal dishes. I, I can take 50 pigeons, put them in a grinder, and have – five pounds of ground turkey, chicken, whatever you want to call it, ground meat we use for tacos, we use for enchiladas, we use for chilies, we use for different dishes, and it's pigeon. But people don't think that they can put a pigeon through a grinder and utilize that as ground meat. Um, making, you know, I eat bobcats, I eat coyotes, I eat all different types of bear. One of my goals this year is I have a, to go wolf hunting and try eating a wolf. Um because people are killing and leaving these animals. And the more that I can tell people that they're utilized to utilize it, even so much as one of the guys at the NWTF conference this year said that he called me the rooter to the tutor cook. Um, <laughs> because I literally cook or eat everything from the mouth to the butthole and everything in between. And if I can't eat it, my, my animals can. So like this year I took all the esophagus, all the esophaguses out of all my deer and elk and big game animals and I smoked them till they were dry, and I gave them my dogs as chews. Again, that usually gets left in the gut pile. But now we're utilizing every aspect of the animal, and you go to this thing, and you get a beef esophagus at PetSmart 
and it's like 14 bucks. So I shot 10 animals this year. I just saved myself over a hundred dollars by making my own dog treats. Um, taking all that silver skin and sinew that you cut off of all your animals and there's all that meat stuck onto it, throw all that junk into a pressure cooker and cook that all down and all that silver turns into just mush that you pull off the top and everything that's left underneath is usable meat. So this one of my goals this year was this last season was to see the most minimal waste I can get off an animal and excluding bones it was one pound of waste off of a full 180 pound deer. So the only waste I had was a pound of silver or snot or slime or whatever you wanted. Bones were used for soups and stews for stocks. They were used for dog toys. The hoofs were used. I mean, you name it, it was used. Um, Save the pelts uh, to dry them out, to make own leather, to make gloves. Like, you name it, that deer was 100% used except for the extremely inedible parts. I even took the large and small intestines and cleaned them out and made them and used sausage and made them into sausage casings. So just because we think it's gross doesn't mean it's gross. Sorry, it was kind of a rant, but that's one of my passions is the inedibles. No, that's something that we get. I, I personally get really excited about because as much as that animal I can use, um, you know, just predisposed like you, when you first take an animal as a, as a young hunter, that's a huge impact on your, in your ability to hunt, you watch that animal go down. And so, yeah, just kind of on that quest that you've already come up with and been able to do, that's kind of been where we're at is what else can we use? How can, how can we use this? I don't know if I'm quite ready for deer intestine sausages yet. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, but I'm not quite ready for that. So you're okay to use pig intestines from a farmed animal to make your sausages, but not a deer that you shot. See, I knew as, as soon as I said that you were going to be doing it because somebody else cleaned it. That's where I was kind of at. I need to, yeah, it, need to but, own up and do this, I guess, is what you're saying. So I'll tell you this right now. So you, you eat food. Food goes in your stomach. Your stomach digests the food. Your food then goes into your, your lower intestines. Within those intestines is where your body gets all of its nutrients and minerals and vitamins. Nothing else happens until it gets into those, that GI tract, right? Right. So on an animal, we're sitting there eating its meat, which is great. But all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the things that are healthy, we're leaving in the gut pile. But by taking out that, that lower intestines, and literally you can squeeze it out like you would a sausage. It, it's actually not as gross as thing that the stomach smells worse than the intestines you squeeze all that stuff out you reverse it and you actually just scrape it with a, with with the backside of a spoon under cold water and all that mucous membrane comes off of it and then i usually soak it for about an hour and a half and then i do the same thing again return it and it's good to go like it's it's a lot simpler than people think and it's the whole process of like you said i now know where every single ounce of my, my product came from. Like to go to the store and buy pig casings or order online, I have no idea about that meat. Like I don't know whose hands touched it. I don't know where that animal lived. I don't know how it lived. I don't know the processing behind it. I don't know. But for me, I know where that deer died. And I know it might be gross and it might be disgusting at first, 
But when you sit around a dinner table and you're, da- and you're watching your nine-year-old daughter eat a sausage and you know every single thing about that sausage, it makes you feel like a just one with nature and one with your family, knowing that she's eating the cleanest, healthiest, possible anything that she can. And you know everything about that. Because, I don't know, there's just something really spiritual in a sense to know that like what you're eating is what you're eating and to know that you're the only hand that touched it and you got dirty for that dinner and I don't know there's just now was I this way five years ago no have I gotten this way in the past three years by studying food because I think a lot of times hunters we don't study food we study hunting we study maps we study calibers of weapons we study whatever for me i studied food in the food industry i talked to a lot of vegans a lot of vegetarians and i i listened to what they're saying about our food industry and i said okay how can i fix that so that they'll they'll respect me as a hunter because i'm living all the things that they're trying to be against so commercialized farming commercialized um you know you go to foster farms sometimes you're getting chickens from mexico and china and you're going to go start eating this well that's where these vegans get upset at. This is, this is where PETA gets upset at. But as a hunter, when they can come to them and you agree with everything that they're saying, they have nothing else. They have no ammo on you. And next thing you know, I took out three ex-vegans on their first hunts last year. That's who are no longer who, who are no longer vegans because of food. And when I can sit there and respectfully say, like, they're like, well, you do this. I go, no, actually, I don't. Well, you, no, actually, I do this. You know, why don't you come along and just see how I do one of my hunts? And they go... Oh, I get it. I get it. Like one of the guys that I took out, he calls himself a hunting vegan. He refuses to eat anything other than what he can hunt or fish himself now. So if he runs out of meat, then he's a vegan. And if he doesn't, that's why he's his goal is to go get two deer this year so him and his wife can eat meat. But, you know, he ran out of he ran out of the turkey and the doves and stuff that he shot this year and he actually wrote me and said, I bought a pack of tofu jerky or vegan jerky i hope it's the last pack of jerky i ever have to buy and so when you look at why i do what i do and why i could care less about becoming famous i just want people to enjoy food and why i make the craziest stupidest dishes that people are like it's just an egg roll but somebody out there is going to say i can make an egg roll out of it okay i want to try it so i started pinterest a couple years ago also because i used to make fun of my wife for using it and I started adding my recipes to it. I've had recipes that have been pinned over a million times. 90% of that are women who don't hunt. Wow. But, they have, but they have husbands who hunt. And I've gotten a lot of direct messages. Hey, I hated when my husband would bring home venison. I hated cooking it until I found your recipes. Now I'm going to go get my hunting license so that I can hunt so we can get more venison in the freezer. So why I continue to put out everyday recipes with wild game and utilizing it in a different mindset is for those moms, for those vegans, for those college kids who are on a budget. And they're like, dude, I can go buy a pack, you know, a pack of, you know, cream cheese and make a killer wild turkey dip. I'm in. So that's kind of why I do what I do and kind of the whole aspect behind why I continue to thrive on just having fun. Yeah, it's a powerful statement that you've been able to make because that was what I was going to ask you later too is, um, you know, you're in a spot where you're in a hotbed when it comes to 
animals and their their treatment of it. Um, you know, I've I've seen on your uh, your feed and stuff, or even just comments that have been left on your pictures, whether you're holding up a backstrap or even just hey, here's a dish with a heart. Just some of the hate that is from the the anti hunting community that they are that they're all against what you have become but your approach just as you were saying is take a look at what i'm doing i'm not any of those claims that you're saying come along with me let me show you what i'm doing and i think that's that's a huge powerful message as as we watch as hunters and as we engage with people who either have a problem with how animals are taken commercially in the food industry or even how animals are taken by hunters instead of hunters immediately knee-jerk reaction getting upset getting offended by it and lashing out at people who are lashing at us but to just take that one second and be like whoa come along with me let me share with you what i'm doing um that that venison diplomacy, that dove diplomacy, that whatever wild game diplomacy is far more uh, effective than, you know, whatever quick comeback you can come back with. Yeah, and that's the problem I see with a lot of these, you know, so-called influencers in our industry. They might have 100,000 followers and they might be sponsored by a lot of big companies, but I don't think they're adding to our hunting industry. I don't feel that a lot of these ones are actually helping. I think they're hurting um, by the way that they're doing stuff. And the biggest thing is their mouth. I mean, just look alone at some of the comments that some of these big people are leaving in their stories or their, or their threads. And it's, it's disgusting. I mean, there's, you know, that make hunting great again guy who just makes a living on hurting other hunters in the industry. And it's, it's hard to sit, to sit by and watch it all. It's hard to be a part of an industry that, you want to help grow, you want to help change. And then you, all you hear is bashing. You hear people like, you know, that they're not real hunters. They're not real this, they're not real that. And then those hunters just explode on them. And it's like, listen, if you kept your mouth shut and just hunted and just put out beautiful pictures, respectful pictures, they would have nothing to come back on you at. Another thing is all these celebrities are getting caught for poaching. I mean, they're getting poaching things on them all the time. They're getting taken extra animals because they have to get it on bit film. They have to get it. They have to be a social media star. Uh, I rarely post any pictures of me. I mean, everyone thinks from field to plate is a group of guys. It's just me. It's literally Jeremiah Dowdy. Um, the meals that you see are the meals that my family eats for dinner. Like that dip that I posted, that's my wife's hand dipping in the chip. And then as soon as it was done, she literally filled her plate with food, went and sat down at the table and started eating dinner. So it's, for me, it's different. It's literally to feed my family and to be kind of a, I want to kind of be a, a difference maker in the industry. And if that means getting people upset because of what I say and what I do respectfully, then I could care less. I'm not here for the outdoor industry. I'm here for the people that want, I want to bring into the outdoor industry. I'm for the, the moms, the, the new people, even the veteran hunters who, Hey, I hunt duck all the time, but I give them away because I, I hate the taste of duck. That's who I'm here for. I could care less about celebrity status and being on someone's, you know, I've been asked to be on big name podcasts, not going to say the names. And I've, I've refused it just because I don't want to be associated with that person. So. 
Well, hey, while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, they come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, in fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. With a responsibility that you have to hunting as a lifestyle, not even with the industry, you've mentioned before, hey, I I take out these new people. I take out, uh, you, you took out those uh, vegans at a, a dove hunt, I think you mentioned. Um, yep. What kind of responsibility now do hunters have that if you're going to be in the lifestyle of hunting, is that now a responsibility that hunters should start to take on for themselves? Should we start inviting folks who don't hunt along with us? Yeah, there's this new movement right now. I don't know if you've heard about it called R3. I've not heard of it. Okay, so R3 is a federal movement right now, um, which I am excited to be a part of every single – that Michigan has one. I've talked to your guys as the, the head of Michigan R3 program. Uh, California just started theirs. But every state has an R3 program, which is all about bringing in the lost generation to of that 25 to 40-year-old range of people. Um, so the three R's is for, like, recruitment, bringing in new hunters – uh, retainment, so like retaining those hunters as well as, and then also reactivation. So there's, there was a survey done where it was, I think we've lost 11 or we're down to like 11 million hunters in the U S where we were like 18 million, like two years ago. Um, and it's dropped. But if you go into like an area and you say, Hey, are you a hunter? They say, yes. It's like, when's the last time you had a hunting license? They're like, Oh, back when I was seven or eight or nine or 10. And there's this lost, sense of it so r3 is really meant to to take out adults on hunts it's great to take out a kid and a veteran um but you take out a kid on a hunt and their parents aren't hunters and don't want to get involved that kid is not going to become a hunter i've never seen uh, i've never seen a, a young kid go into cabela's buy a license, buy a gun, drive himself to a hunting area and, and hunt. I mean, I've just never seen it. But if you get those parents involved, to get that next generation involved, it's going to trickle down. My daughters, all they talk about is going duck hunting and eating wild game because they look at what their dad does. Their, their friends um, don't understand it when my daughters go to school and they talk about what they did over the weekend. But now their dads are starting to get a hold of me and say, hey, my daughter was talking about you brought in turkey parts to school. Like, I've always wanted to be, I've I've always wanted to go hunting. Is there any way I can go with you? It's like, yep, let's go. And I think that's the only way we're going to build the industry. 
that's the only way we're going to I was sitting at NWTF conference, National Wild Turkey Federation, for those who don't know. And I was sitting on a panel with like Cuz Strickland, Jimmy Primos, um, the AVNX guys. We're all sitting there and they had me on the panel. I was like, dude, I don't, I do not deserve to be up here with these legends of our industry. Um, and we were talking about this whole R3 movement. And as we're sitting there talking, you know, hearing their statements and what they want to do, I started looking around the room and realized that there was, 400 people that looked exactly like me you know white guys beards blonde wives you know and there was one asian girl sitting in the in the audience and so i stood up and i was like our real problem right now is that we're all the same like we don't diverse we, we don't diversify ourselves we're, we're making the hunting industry so expensive that people can't get into it we're making it so that we're just taking out our kids we're not taking out our neighbor who asked us about our deer hunt. And so we're like, ah, oh, it was good, Bill. And we should be like, hey, Bill, want to come out and try it with me? Like, you don't need a license. Just come hang out with me in the, in the tree stand, man. Like, getting him involved in it, you know, from even though he's in his 30s, 40s, 50s, getting him involved in hunting. Just like taking my dad out for his first antelope hunt. My dad was 60 years old when he went and climbed the mountains of my own, Wyoming to shoot an antelope. And now he's hooked, beyond hooked. And so, I don't know. There's just this huge movement. If anyone's listening, you can go on and type in, like, the R3 hunting program and read all about it. And it's a huge, huge movement right now that a lot of people don't know about, but all the states are trying to dump a lot of resources into. Um, And if you're an adult who wants to get into hunting or wants to take a hunter out, it's a perfect chance for you to get involved with your state. Um on a volunteer status and really get people outside uh, hunting. And it's not giving away your hunting spot. It's not taking someone to your hunting spot. It's just getting someone excited to be outside hunting or fishing, um, just outside in that age. And so that's something I've been doing for years. And so it's kind of cool that they're now putting it on a federal level to take out people. Cause again, like I said, every year antelope hunting, it's four brand new hunters sitting in a, in a camp learning how to shoot a gun and I do classes in Texas where I do 30 new hunters a year. I mean, I have hunters that come there that have never touched a gun in their life and end up shooting a deer and taking it home. So it's doable. It's just you got to get off the couch and do it. Yeah. Um, with your classes, what's some of your favorite teachable moments? Like you said, you, you're bringing in out like a bunch of new hunters that have never touched a gun before. What are, what's a favorite teachable moment that you had from that class? I think a lot of people don't – I've had a lot of them say they don't know if they can pull the trigger because it's an animal. Like they're looking out and they're seeing this deer feed on the road or feed in the field. And we've been so Disneyized, as I like to say it, where the animals talk and critters are, you know, humanized. Um, but then once that animal hits the ground and they go over there and they realize that it's – food their whole demeanor changes once the skin gets off the animal the animal is no longer this i know it sounds morbid but no longer this something that's alive it's now something that's going to keep you alive yeah there's this transition and it's it's beautiful when you watch a first-time hunter and you hand them a knife and they're like i don't know if i can do this and next thing you know they're asking every aspect of what's inside. okay so this is the liver this is well how does the kidney work how does the okay well why is there so much fat around it okay so work and then they're scraping every ounce of meat off that bone um 
and they're not letting anything go to waste because they did it with their hands. If you go to a restaurant and you don't want to finish your steak, you don't finish your steak. It's whatever. I paid for it. I'm not going to finish it. I'm not hungry. But when you shoot an animal and you cook that meat, I guarantee you, you finish every aspect of that animal, even if it's tomorrow's lunch or cutting up and scrambled eggs in the morning. Like none of that goes to waste because you saw the process of life, life and death. And for me, that moment is the, I mean, I've sat, I'm, I'm, I'll be man enough. I've sat in the blind and cried with more people than I want to count with because it's beautiful. And they look at me they're like, oh my gosh. And they're just the emotion that overwhelms them and their, their love for nature and their love for life and their love for food. I mean, I'm sitting there crying with them, hugging them as we're sitting there dragging an animal to the truck. Like, because they, at that moment, they get a, something snaps inside their head that as humans, this is what we were meant to do. We were meant to provide. We were meant to do it ourselves. It's the same thing if you grow a carrot in your garden. Like that carrot's going to taste a lot better than a carrot at the grocery store, even though it's the same carrot, because you did it. Like my kids will run out. My, my youngest hates tomatoes. She'll run out to the cherry tomato bush that she planted, and she'll eat tomatoes all day long because she did it. But you go to the grocery store, you go out to a restaurant, and on a salad, the cherry tomato, she's like, oh, I hate tomatoes. But that's that thing with like when you said, what's my favorite thing? I can sit there and watch that all day long. Or when you're taking out a brand new duck hunter and a duck hits the blind and they walk and they're staring at it and they're like, what can I cook with this? And it's like, ah, it's that aha moment that that I thrive on. Yeah, I'm a PE teacher, elementary PE teacher. And so I do, um, every three years I do a, an archery um, unit and I bring oh, in nice. some compound bows, just the, I mean, they, you know, 10, 15 pounds, we turn them way down. And I think just Clay, kind of what you're saying is there's this, they're they're flinching at as they're, I'm like no pull that string back and then you know they're shaking and I'll have a little girl just release that first arrow and immediately her hand goes for the next arrow that she's hooked yep. she's on that um you know and I, as much as like I want to think that by doing this little bit it's like hey you're taking something that's a sport you introduce it as a sport but then you also share your love of bow hunting it is to you know kids to elementary age kids um but it's to the parents that you got to send that you got to extend that message to that's right. a an aha moment that i think i'm kind of grasping onto that i need mom and dad to get on board too if we're going to get right. this next generation to come that's up that that's that R3 movement, man. You got to get mom and dad excited and it's going to same thing. If you're, if you're parent, like for me, I absolutely hate soccer, nothing against anyone that plays soccer. I just don't want to sit on a soccer field and watch soccer. So I'm not going to be excited and push my daughters to play soccer. But if I am a soccer freak, it's, I'm going to be on the soccer field with my kids every single day and they're going to learn to love soccer because I love soccer. So instead my kids are sitting here blowing on duck calls and chirping Turkey calls and, in their bedroom because that's what I'm passionate about. And it, it follows through with that. If the parents are going to get excited about archery, then they're going to want to take their kids out to the range. They're going to, they're going to want to go buy a block for their backyard. They're going to want to go after dinner and shoot, you know, 12 arrows with their kids and have competitions by blowing up balloons. It's just, yeah, you're right. It has to, it has to start from the top down. All right. I've got two last questions for you and they're doozies. Jeremiah. Okay. Uh, and I call it my two dish breakdown. And what I want you to do is to break down 
the whole dish, ingredients, process, technique, kind of just give us the whole enlightenment. Um, and my dish one is turkey season here in Michigan is right around the corner here. What is your go-to turkey dish? My go-to turkey dish. Um, gosh, I have I just made three turkey dishes last night. Um, my go-to turkey dish would probably have to be, I like to take um, the turkey breast and thigh, um, and I, I make a roll with it. So what I do is I take that thigh, and I cut it open, fillet open, and then I take that breast, fillet open, and what I do is I lay the thigh inside the breast, and then I fill it full of uh, sun-dried tomatoes, mozzarella cheese, basil, uh, fresh spinach, garlic, salt, pepper, and then I roll that uh, turkey breast up, and I tie it, and I put it on the, the grill or the smoker until it reaches 145 degrees. I pull it, I let it rest, and I slice it, and I drizzle a little bit of that sun-dried tomato oil over the top and eat it just like that, and it is absolutely insane. Oh, so it's yeah. kind of a fancy kind of a fancy dish if you want to go the other way i like to take the thighs and legs throw them in a crock pot and make like a barbacoa for tacos um or put it on top of some mashed potatoes or rice it's just incredible yeah if you can take that dark meat shred it out but that i like how you did the the roll there that's like a it's like thanksgiving all into one and i have done a thanksgiving in a bite where i've taken i've rolled it with uh stuffing cranberries um apples and uh, wild boar sausage and rolled it all up and then baked it um so you slice into it it's like a literally turkey and a you know thanksgiving and a bite put a little bit of gravy on it and it's perfect all right second dish this one's even heavier it's date night the girls are off to grandma grandpa's or they're at a friend's house they're gone all the dogs and cats and whatever pets you got they are put away it is you and the missus, and it is day night. You are cooking in. What is your dish? That what is the dish you are preparing in order to make the night extra special? Besides strawberries, whipped cream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want the dish, uh, not dessert, sir. <laughs> oh, oh you're right. uh, well, I would probably have to do just something super simple, which is cast iron skillet. Um, venison or elk steaks with first of all you get a hot cast iron skillet you throw some onions some garlic in there until it starts to brown then you pour in butter olive oil rosemary and thyme and then you season your steak with salt and pepper and you put it in that hot cast iron skillet and you just baste it with that garlic oil that's infused with all those different flavors over it the entire time for about three minutes per side Take it off, let it rest, and throw some Brussels sprouts in that same pan and kind of deglaze that pan by pouring in just a little bit of red wine. Um, and that absorbs into those those uh, Brussels sprouts and absorbs all that stuff. And then with all that gravy, all that Brussels sprouts, you dump it on top of the steaks. Oh, and you just slowly enjoy a medium-rare venison steak with just caramelized Brussels sprouts on top. It's just – that is the dish I make when – I'm in trouble <laughs> when you're trying not to now be in trouble when, 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 when she comes home and she's like, uh, and I was like, Hey, I made you this. And she's like, uh, but the hard part is cause that's like my daughter's favorite way to cook it too. So they'll come home and they'll smell it. They're like, dad. Um, 
But yeah, I think just that super hot cast iron skillet, nothing over fancy, just fresh herbs, fresh garlic in that pan with that butter and that oil. Oh man, it just, something about that hard crust with the medium rare inside that just cool center, hot outside. Yeah. It just, oh, it just melts into your mouth as you eat it. And there's no dip in sauce, no nothing. It's just, I mean, you can make a golden mash to go like mashed, mashed potatoes to go with it just for a starch and a creaminess, but just, and I don't drink, but pair my, pair that with a nice red wine. Like my wife likes with it that you use to deglaze the pan. And it just, it kind of sets it off and really, I mean, if you go to a rest, I, I've cooked it for friends at parties. And they're like, I'd pay a hundred bucks for this at a restaurant. So, and they don't realize it's only like 10 ingredients. So, Hey, that sometimes would my, when that'd be my go-to dish. Yeah, when you've already got perfection as far as like the elk or the venison goes, like you you don't have to add a lot to it. Salt and pepper, and it's already going to be awesome. All oh, right, I mean, yeah, it's just keep it simple, stupid, and and let the flavors just develop. And that's the thing is people just they want to overdo it with store bought spices. It's like, man, just crack some pepper, throw some sea salt on there, and enjoy. Well, I'd say, Jeremiah, you have given us a fire hose load of stuff to chew on, stuff to think on, not only culinarily, but uh, just as hunters as ourselves. If we're gonna if we're gonna continue to be a part of this lifestyle, we got to think about: Hey, are we totally using this animal up? Are we are we not getting into the icky parts because we have this moment of we don't feel comfortable. We got to get outside that shell and then just how the world perceives us and how we need to approach that. Sir, thank you for, for all the, the info that you've uh, laid before us here. Yeah. Thanks for letting me kind of word vomit uh, about my passions. Cause anyone that wants to listen, I'm going to, again, keep pushing, pushing what I like to do. So, so this is again now your moment. Um, where can where can my listeners find you? Because I'm sure after they've gotten this far, they want to find more out about from field to plate. If they've not already found you, where can we find you? Where can we find your content? Summer's almost here, so you can find me on the Pacific Ocean on my kayak fishing. Um, <laughs> but if you want to go through social media aspects, um, Instagram is from from field to plate. Super simple. You can do that on all platforms except for Twitter. Uh, instead of the word two, it is the number two because I have too many, one too many uh, characters for Twitter. So from field to plate on, on all social media platforms from Facebook to YouTube to Pinterest to Instagram. Uh, I just started a brand new closed group um, on Facebook from field to plate. I have a, a page you can go on and then I also have a group. Uh, the group is literally designed for hunters and anglers and just culinary people to go there and share non-trophy related items in a respectful manner through the food. Put a picture of you and the meal you cooked and tell the story and let just everyone just embrace each other. Uh, the cool part about it is being an admin, if people put stuff that is just disrespectful, it's going to be deleted, and it's that's plain and simple. It's not, it's not somewhere to go and brag. It's somewhere to go and share and be supportive to other hunters, and that's really – I mean, I started it yesterday, and it has 200 members. So go on there, click it, follow it, share food pictures. Um, I have a really cool 100% success rate on all my platforms. So if you have a question, reach out. I'm going to answer it. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to search it and find it because 
Uh, I was always taught if you're not learning, then you're dying. So, but yeah, find me on From Field to Plate on all those platforms, fromfieldtoplate.com for recipes, uh, as well as you can check out, you know, traeger.com, mossyoak.com, um, blackrifle.com, a bunch of different places I've got recipes out specifically for those companies. So, excellent. Jeremiah, you've been an inspiration. And I'd say you, you, I mean, you mentioned Shaw, you mentioned Ranella. Uh, you can put yourself up there on that Mount Rushmore of of uh, wild game hunters, sir. You've uh, you've really brought the brought it home tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Yeah. Well, have a good night, Dustin. You got anything else to say? No, I just uh, appreciate the perspective and insight. It's been fun to chat with you here. I'm excited to keep thinking the way you do. Yeah, man. And give me some dates for deer, and I'll come out and. We'll shoot some cedar bucks and have fun cooking them. All right, hold on here just a second, Jeremiah. We're gonna we're gonna send the listeners on their way, folks. Thanks for listening. Oh, and uh, keep your knife sharp.